0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical spirituality, positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present the Diane Ray show Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm Diane Ray and I'm so glad you could be present with me for just a few minutes. I'm really excited about my guest today. Uh, we're going to dive into some really powerful teachings, and I'm going to be talking with Spring Washam, and she's the author of A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. And I've been spending some time with this book, and I've been reading it over the past couple of days, and there's some really deep wisdom in here that I think can benefit everybody. So I'm I'm looking forward to the conversation. And Spring is a founder of the East Bay Meditation Center, one of the most diverse and accessible Dharma centers in the United States. And in the book, she shares her contemporary, unique interpretation of the Buddha's 2,500-year-old teachings. And these are great stories really from the heart. She shares a lot of her personal story in this book. It's really A personal thing here. And Spring is considered a pioneer in bringing mindfulness-based healing practices to inner city communities. And I'm really loving the book and these practices really help you open your heart to more peace and compassion in your life. So I'm really happy to be able to share it with you. And welcome Spring to the show. I'm glad you can find some time to talk to me today.
1: Oh, thank you, Diane. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited to chat with
0: you. Well, I've really loved the book. I just finished it. It's mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. And it gives people a really great introduction and explanation into Buddhist philosophy and teachings. And we really need this now more than ever, I think. And these teachings can really help people. As you describe in the book, it, it kind of helps save your life in a sense. And mm-hmm. I was just curious if you could share a little bit about your, your story and what brought you to these teachings.
1: Well, I think what's interesting for a lot of people is often they get on a spiritual path when things aren't working. It's usually when there's a meltdown or some kind of crisis. I don't know about you, but that's often been my experience when things kind of fall apart. Um, When things are great, usually we're just coasting along. And, you know, so I um, was having kind of a a breakdown or dark night of the soul. And I was very young at the time and I hadn't really been that exposed to meditation practices. And I ended up going on a retreat. I was really lucky. I was going on a retreat in the desert. But prior to that, I, you know, I lost my job, my car was being repossessed, my relationship was a disaster. And I knew that if I could just get to this retreat, everything would make sense because prior to that, nothing was making sense. And that kind of opened me up to meditation. It was a 10 day meditation retreat, all in silence. And it was during that time that I guess I, I guess you could say I had the first of a awakening process, it was like a mini awakening. And when I use that word awakening, I mean that what I awoke to or understood was that, oh, I'm supposed to be living a spiritually based life. That was a profound insight at the time. Mm
0: And you also met one of your teachers there at this retreat that you described in the book, and you really had hit what people would say rock bottom at that point. And and it's true what you were saying. I think it's so interesting that, you know, we kind of coast along and we're and we're doing our thing. Until the universe pulls the rug out from under us in, in some way, you know, whether it's a death yes. in the family or something like that. And that's really what you described in the book, what was happening to you. And you met uh, one of your teachers, Jack Cornfield, and I've read some of his work and he's just amazing. And, and so really working with him, that was a turning point for you.
1: Yes, I think at that time, I had been really searching for a teacher internally, you know, I had been practicing meditation on my own, but I wasn't very successful. You know, most a lot of people sit down to meditate, and they just think about their problems. And I started to realize after many hours of this, I don't know if I'm really getting what meditation is. And so internally, I had begun to pray and Ask the universe, the cosmos, or however you refer to creator, I need support. I need help to learn this. And so I was really lucky, you know, and I was a hot mess coming to the retreat. I write about it in the first couple of chapters how I drove to the retreat and I was crying. I had just broken up with my partner and uh, I had no money and nowhere to go. And after the retreat, and I was chain smoking and drinking diet Mountain Dew while driving 400 miles. And um, I arrived at the retreat really at, it was like an ambulance, a spiritual ambulance, um, like really needing help. And so I was really amazed because I didn't even know who was leading the retreat. I didn't, I didn't know about Buddhism. I just showed up because people said, this is a place where you can meditate. There's teachers there that will talk to you there's vegetarian food, and it's quiet. And I knew if I could just get quiet, I could hear something other than my crazy, tortured mind. Right, things would start making sense. Yes, yes. And
0: what was your idea of God growing up? I mean, were you brought up with any spiritual tradition?
1: Well, you know, I was not brought up really in any Clear spiritual tradition. Obviously, my family um, were Christians, and but my mother was not. She was kind of more had more of an atheist perspective. But my father's side, he he was more of a mystic, but mostly everybody was Christian-based. So I grew up really questioning God and feeling connected, but not understanding what that meant and how to express that or how to live into that. So I had a lot of um, interest in looking at many different things. And psychology at that time, I sort of was my religion, you know, self-help books, psychology. I knew at the end of the day, it had something to do with my mind. I knew it's like, it's the way that I'm thinking that is creating a lot of suffering here. And so I was very interested in understanding consciousness and my mind, even at a very young age, I was questioning why are people acting like this? Or what are their thoughts? Why are they suffering? Why are people angry? Why are they hurt? So I had a lot of um, interest in understanding the nature of emotions in mind. So that stood out always at a young age. And you had
0: you said you kind of experimented with meditation um, up until the point of that retreat. And I, I think yeah. that's interesting, because I'm I mean, I had done the same thing and I was under the misinterpretation of meditation that you should stop thinking when you're meditating. And I came to realize that that's really impossible to stop thinking <laughs> completely, you know? And yeah. It's thought I, always, I thought I was doing it wrong. I always thought, well, I'm doing this wrong. I'm still thinking. I, I want to have this, that that nothingness. And then I had a a teacher, you know, I think working with some really someone is really the key, right, to kind of help you. And then you discover how your practice is going to work best for you. But once I realized that if I stopped thinking that I'd be dead, you know, that that wasn't going to work, um, then really looking at your thoughts, like, like what you're saying, you know, how your thoughts are causing you pain and how you can, you know, maybe change that. And was, was that a big shift for you in, in your meditation practice?
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, when I started practicing intensively, it was over 20 years ago. So there wasn't all the apps. There was only a few books in the book section. And so for me to make connection with a teacher and learn how to work with my mind, that was everything. Because exactly, I came out of, at that time, I was studying it with a Hindu community, self-realization fellowship. And all they would do, I would go to three-hour meditations. I can remember going to their temple on Friday nights for these three-hour meditations. And all they would tell me was, sit and love God. And I'd say, okay. And I would sit for three hours with monkey mind. I would think about the past, the future. And I'd be like, okay, God, yes, I'm focusing on God. I had no real understanding that meditation is an art I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be thinking then I, when I was thinking I knew this isn't getting me anywhere I just feel stressed out I don't I'm not getting the experiences I'm reading about so there's there and they didn't teach any kind of um, step-by-step practice at that time so I when I met Jack cornfield he really exposed me to this whole lineage of the way that the buddhists approach meditation practice which was very step by step you start with your breath you start with your body oh present moment the mind never stops we just make peace with that yeah so i a whole nother level opened up when i had a kind of formal instruction and a way to interact with a teacher and receive guidance on how things were going yeah, it was a huge breakthrough.
0: And do you ever really master the monkey mind? Or or this is or is this what you mean by practice?
1: (laughs) Yeah, in a way, you master the monkey mind by mindfulness of it. And that's a funny thing that when we're practicing, and there's so many different ways to practice meditation. But the one that I really subscribe to is being in the present moment is learning how to Open to what is. So when we have monkey mind, we're with monkey mind. When we have excitement, we're with excitement. When we have sadness, we're with the sadness. So we're learning how to be mindful and aware. And we allow whatever to arise to just arise. So we're not trying to, you know, I was teaching in Oakland for so many years and people would sometimes come and say, how do I get to the fifth dimension or I need to be with the light? And I would say, well, the practices that we teach are about being right here, right now in your body. That's where all the wisdom is. Um, So you learn to master things by just allowing them, by surrendering. And in that, you sort of master it. It's, It's funny in a way.
0: That's such an important lesson. And it's something that I've been working with myself for a while. I mean, that's even why I call this show Be Present is part mm-hmm. of the title of the show, right. because I'm always trying to remind myself and nudge myself to be in that present moment. And uh, it, it can be a challenge. Sometimes it really oh, can. Man. And one of the things that I noticed in the book, you know, the thread that kind of weaves through it, uh, just what you're talking about, you know, life can be tough. It's it's fraught with suffering. You know, I think that's one of the four noble truths, right? That mm-hmm. we will experience suffering. Um, but what you're saying that the important thing is to embrace all of it. And and rather than run away from the pain, which is what we try to do, we don't want to feel it, but we have to kind of, you know, relax into it. I mean, how do you work with students on that?
1: I think that is the the question of the hour. How do we deal with our suffering skillfully, right? There's a lot of responses that we all have that are habitual, that we've learned from family and friends, how we grew up. Um, But what I really teach people is how to be with intense emotion. That's usually what most people are really scared about. If they come on a retreat, they worry, oh my gosh, what if I have to feel something, and I'll think, okay, what do, what, do you, what do we not want to feel? And they'll like fear or loneliness or sadness. And if you think about it, these emotions are, are our human family's emotion. They don't really belong to anyone. They are visitors. But learning how to become, I think, more emotionally intelligent. So we learn how to not act them out, not repress them, not feed them, but learning how to open to them and feel them. And that sort of, I guess the word alchemy is really what mindfulness does. When we're aware of something, we, we place our loving awareness there. The emotion sort of dissolves or just energy. So I really work with people to help them not be afraid of intense experience. And the practice gives us the kind of courage to meet deeper and deeper states of confusion or fear or anger and see them as just more energetic phenomena. So I think that's really key to not take it personally. But I think on the spiritual path, and that's why I write A Fierce Heart, is that you have to be willing to feel in order to wake up. You can't bypass it. You can't wish it away. We have to open to the underworld of the mind and experience it in order to walk through it. So that's really the, what the book a lot is about.
0: So after, I mean, so after saying that, would you say that we learn more from those experiences, from experiences that we really hate or that are really uncomfortable, than from experiences that we really love, like you know? Well, not that you really would love childbirth, the actual <laughs> act, you know, but that experience could be very joyful. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? The the difference of those kind of experiences?
1: I I have to say that if I was gonna put like a thesis on my book, it's about how the difficult is the doorway, how opening to the most challenging situations, I mean, that's where we really grow. When things are beautiful, that's also a a time of growth and and learning. But when we meet something really painful, that's usually when we awaken something inside ourselves. I mean, you know, when you think about it, don't we love stories of people who overcome every obstacle, you know, from stories of Maya Angelou or people who like Oprah or Nelson Mandela. I mean, we, The stories of survival, the stories of bearing witness, the stories of going through the sort of fire of injustice or suffering or depression and coming out the other end, that gives you a sort of power. You learn, Um, at least I have and others that I work with, we learn so much about ourselves when things are hard. And we don't wish for hard things that come, no, you know, but in a human life, We all get 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. And no one is exempt from that. If you're alive on the planet, you will experience some version of that. Um, But I just, I learned from my most difficult moments. Um, So I encourage people to not shy away, but to meet it, to open to it and see where it takes you.
0: That's so true. I mean, I do love those kinds of stories. I mean, I love the underdog. You know, most people do. Uh, Or, you know, like Joseph Campbell would say the hero's journey, you know, Mm -hmm. the hero goes through that, that path and has all these things that they have to deal with and, you know, ultimately is uh, triumphant in the end. So yeah, that's true. You know, if we embrace it and lean into it, then we can really learn these uh, really powerful lessons. So what would you think about this
1: statement? Is it never too late to change? Oh, of course. I completely believe that you know, that it's all, it's never too late to change because if you're awake and aware, you're changing the moment. If you're paying attention, change will happen because your decision-making process will be different. Ah, I'm aware. I'm aware of what I'm doing. I'm aware of what I'm saying. I'm aware of where I'm going. I think awareness is, is really, really key. That changes the moment. It's like a science experiment. You know how they say when when uh, people are observing uh, a sort of phenomenon that by the observer they change the outcome just by the observer. Right. Our own awareness changes our experience because we're we're awake to something we weren't before. I love that. And I think change can be really
0: br- beautiful. You know, every year um, around Christmas time, around the holidays, my favorite thing to watch is this old 1951 version of A Christmas Carol. Uh, and it has oh. to be this particular version with Alistair Sim. I don't know why I just, I love this old version, <laughs> but it all, it gets me every single time when he wakes up, you know, Christmas morning. And he's dancing around. I'm, I'm giddy as a schoolboy, and I love that. Like it brings Aww. a tear to my eye because he. It's not too late, you know. And then he goes and has uh, dinner with his nephew, and they welcome him in. It's just it's beautiful. <laughs> it get, I Aww. even get choked up now thinking about it. I don't know why, but I love that. I love that scene because I I believe that too. I think that people can change if if they really want to, you know, if it's yes. really in their, in their heart and they really want to and they really listen. And just one of the great lessons that you share in the book, I'm talking to Spring Washam about her book, A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage and Wisdom in Any Moment. It's available right now. And one of the other great lessons and insights that you share in the book is you say that we all experience a great calling. To answer the question of why we are here. And sometimes that can seem like a cliche, right? Well, why am I here? You know, and you mm-hmm. know, you see like cartoons or things or people asking that question, why are we here? But so often I think fear keeps us from answering this call. And you talk about what actually that feels like, like that kind of universe tapping you on the shoulder. And can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that, about addressing and overcoming that fear? to answer that great calling?
1: Yeah, and again, I think we could use the um, the map or the cosmology of the hero's journey, right? And it's like the call is a part of the beginning, right? Something's not working anymore. Our life no longer works. That's usually a sign, right? The relationship's not working, suddenly the job's not working or the health maybe isn't working. How we're living, how we're thinking, we just outgrow it. And the call, I always say it's the call to adventure. It's the call to living a new way. It's the call to shifting. And it can be also a very scary time because often when that call comes, what is asking us to do is to change how we're living and what we were attached to. Kind of like a birth death moment there. Something's dying for something else to be reborn. And we are scared. Um, I know for me, I experience that every time I'm about to grow. It's usually I have to let go of some other little thing that I'm attached to. You know, even our addictions, even things that aren't good for us, toxins, we're attached to them. We have a relationship, right? I have a relationship with this food. I have a relationship with this Particular person, I have a you know, even when it's not good. So a lot of times the the fear comes from attachment to not not knowing that the next step. We're in the middle ground, you know. Something's dying, but that new thing isn't reborn yet. The new path isn't clear, and we get scared. You know, something's trying to wake us up, but it's also a time of um, uncertainty. And we love certainty. You know, we want to have our to-do list. We want to know what's going on every moment. Well, on the spiritual path, when you're really walking it fully, there's a lot of times where there's no certainty that we're just sort of in a way flying by the seat of our pants in in a good way. We're paying attention, but we're being led. And a lot of times we can't see around the corners. You know, we know what we're doing is no longer working and we have to be willing to let go before we see the next, you know, turn on the road, so to speak. And that's really the key, right? The way that we're holding on to
0: what's familiar with this death grip, you know, like I I have a friend that will readily admit that her, her biggest fear is change. And she would rather stay in, you know, a horrible situation or, a bad job until the bitter end, you know, and not, Mm. and not shift and move. And I think we just become numb and, and have blinders on if we're always in that mindset of, of being afraid to change. Like she's never, I mean, I've left, a couple of jobs, you know, I walked out of a waitressing job once. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't do this anymore. You know, like right. you'll get to the point where you just, you have to, you have to move, you have to make a move, but she would stay in something, you know, until you get fired or until the relationship is just at a bitter end. And I think that's so sad, you know, and I've tried to talk to her about that, but don't you think we just become numb and there's, we're just clouded over if if we hang on so tightly and we have that attachment And fear of change.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's just that it's fear. And, you know, your friend is, is very common, that kind of mindset of hanging on because it's familiar, even though it's painful, right? It's like, well, this is a familiar pain. I don't know what that what's over there, you know, even though it's not working, or and then obviously, yeah, things start to fall apart on their own. When we're not willing to move, usually we, an accident happens when you, I always say the great call is the one call you have to take. Right. If you refuse it, life gets more choppy. That's when accidents start to happen or things go really wrong. We get fired. Then, then the cosmos just rips the rug out. Like you were saying in the beginning, like everything dissolves on its own. Right. And that it, it's like life is trying to get our attention So we can pretend to be asleep, we can push back. However, you know, things have a life of their own, you know, and and we set things in motion when we say, okay, universe, I wanna heal. Well, wow, okay, everything then is up for grabs. So letting go is a huge part of this whole journey. And one of my favorite chapters in my book is called Hello, Goodbye. And it's all about impermanence. Hello, goodbye to everything. You know it's here it appears we dance then it dissolves. I don't have to ask why anymore because inherently change is built into the fabric of the universe. It's its nature. I didn't do anything wrong because the relationship ended. I didn't do anything wrong because somebody fired me. I mean there might be on one level yes, but on a bigger level everything comes together and then dissolves. It's just everything has an expiration date from the fruit in your fridge to the trees outside, to ourselves. So I really teach a lot about letting go as a path to freedom, because if we don't think of it as a spiritual practice, we will create a lot of extra suffering.
0: That's so true. I'm talking with Spring Washam about her book, A Fierce Heart. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. But before we take the break, there are so many great quotes and stories that appear in Spring's book, A Fierce Heart, that I wanted to share one with you. It comes from the book, The Art of Mindfulness by Zen master, global spiritual leader and peace activist Thich Han. He is world renowned for his powerful teachings and best selling books on mindfulness and peace. Just a humble monk, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called him an apostle of peace and nonviolence when nominating him for the Nobel Peace Prize. Exiled from his native Vietnam for almost four decades, Thit Nhat Hanh has been a pioneer bringing Buddhism and mindfulness teachings to the West. According to the Buddha, life is available only in the here and now, the present moment. He said the past is already gone, the future is not yet here. There's only one moment for you to live, and that is the present moment. If you miss the present moment, you miss your appointment with life. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back. I'm talking with Spring Washam about her book, A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. Just some really profound lessons and stories in this book. I really loved it. So I really urge you to pick it up. And in the uh, previous segment before the break, we were talking a little bit about impermanence and uh, the chapter in the book, Hello, Goodbye. And uh, during the break, I was sharing with you that that was really one of my favorite chapters in the book, as well, because I think it's, it's such a hard thing for people to, to grasp sometimes and uh, the fear of change, and how when we're stuck in that rut, just in the comfortable of the, the devil we know, so to speak, rather than embracing the change and the fear of of jumping off, just, just keeps us so, so bound and missing out from so many great experiences. And I think once you kind of move through that and accept the fact of impermanence that the universe will answer your questions, like I'll just share a, a quick story. Um, I worked for Louise Hay for her company for a long time, for 11 mm-hmm. years, and I learned so much from her. And... I remember asking her one time about starting the company because she had started the company in her sixties and you think, oh, that's so old, you know, (laughs) but now as I'm getting closer to that number, (laughs) it's really not right. Right. You know, being open to like new experiences and and changes, no no matter what your age. And I said, so Louise, what did you do? Like, how did, how did you start the company? And she said, I opened the mail and I answered the phone, you know, and she just kind of did these Hmm. tasks and moved forward, and she goes when you when you just move forward in the right direction, people will come to you. And you touched on that a, a little bit, a little bit earlier. How the universe will answer you, right? Yes. When, when you answer the great calling, the universe will continue to lead you, right? And and yes. has that been true in
1: your experience as well? Oh yes, I mean. I, when I say yes, and usually when you're saying yes, it's to something that you feel like, oh my gosh, this is impossible. Again, if you go back to the, the archetype of the, the warrior hero's journey, usually when they go out to the road of trials, that's a part of the hero's journey where they have to slay the dragon, right? And they have maybe like a a spoon to do it and they're way under equipped. And then there's this huge task often, right? And you think, impossible. Like Louise Hayes, I'm going to start a huge publishing thing at age 60. You know, it's always something bigger than yourself. And so when you say yes to it from a place of just being in service and with your heart open in faith, a thousand invisible hands come forward and synchronicities come forward. They're right, you're thinking about Egypt, a book appears on your table about Egypt, you're thinking about a certain set of teachings, you get an invite in or a YouTube video, the five minutes later, that's when the universe is kind of I almost feel like they're rooting, like, yes, keep going. Yes, you know, you start to see a lot of symbols and signs everywhere. Yeah, I'm sure Louise, um, you know, when she said yes, and she picks up the phone, and she's just doing the tasks in front of her, but there's a magic that starts to unfold as the right people start appearing. The right the right things start to appear around to make the movements to step one, step two, then to find, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of magic along the way. Struggle, yes, but there's also sort of this divine synchronicity and, and, and sort of, I like to call it like this magic that starts to happen with our life. When we say yes,
0: it can really be magical and when you yeah. when you kind of turn over the reins um like there was a great story you share in the book that the camel knows the way mm-hmm. and i thought that was so so cute i like that story
1: <laughs> you know just sit there and let the camel <laughs> go
0: you know and that's kind of what she did like she did the tasks and then let you know the universe kind of guide you. And you're so right. I mean, I've seen that in my own experience just over the past two years, that even though you are dealing with the fear and uncertainty of of everyday life, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. But I have had, you know, great people come into my orbit and some synchronistic thing will happen. And the more you wake up to those things, I think the the more, you know, more breadcrumbs you get thrown along the way. And it, it is, it's just kind of a beautiful magical thing and i think you start to believe more in magic right i mean I, i'd like to believe it's possible
1: yeah and i think you you start to believe that the universe is a loving place and that you're you're having a relationship with compassion and and a relationship right it's not the god ideal isn't separate oh i'm a part of this i'm a part of this there's yeah you're relating to to everything in a different way, and and that becomes a profound uh, shift when that starts to happen. Well, I'm glad you mentioned
0: that because um, in the book you say one of the roots of our unhappiness is that we have forgotten that we are divine and mm-hmm. that we're we're stardust, we're we're pieces of God, and that we don't have to look outside ourselves for this. And do you think that's that's a major a major factor in in our unhappiness that we we don't have that relationship or that we don't believe that we are divine.
1: Yes, I do. I have and when I was working and teaching a lot when we opened the East Bay Meditation Center, a lot of teachings um I were I was giving about buddha nature, which is true nature, which is that you're inherently perfect, whole, complete and you you're actually a buddha, you just forgot. <laughs> You're asleep to it. Now that is a very affirmative belief. Okay, I'm awakened, but I'm I'm in a state of forgetting. Okay, I can I can understand that. Versus maybe a lot of people interpret the Christian tradition is like you're inherently bad, and no matter what you do, you'll you'll you can never undo that, and and it's outside yourself. If you, you know, maybe pray or walk across the desert on your knees, maybe. You'll be okay but um, but that I think that belief sort of original sin has created a, a society of people who feel awful about themselves. It's like at the core, I'm bad and versus at the core, I'm radiant, awake, compassionate. all these qualities are in me, but they're dormant they've been obscured. So then the journey becomes about awakening those qualities. It's like you know the jewel in the heart of the lotus. And so for me, um, one of the chapters in my book, Remember Who You Are, is a really important one. It's like, remember who you are. You are the stars. You are, you know, and no one can make you feel inferior to that. And I I really feel that message is something I will hone in a lot more. You know, I'm here to remind people that they're not this separate uh, sinful individual way out, cast out of the cosmos alone, right? That no, and it, it you restore a lot of your power when that system, that belief system is outgrown. And that
0: can be a radical shift for some people. And a lot of oh, people yeah. would maybe push back on that by saying, well, what are you saying that you're God? How can you say that? You know, I remember working with, with mm. Dr. Wayne Dyer um, for a long time and and he would share that message with a lot of his listeners, I worked with him on his radio show. And, and he would say, you are, you know, you are divine, and you are a piece of God, it's within you. And that can be a radical thought for a lot of people who may -hmm. have been brought up in a different tradition, like you said, that we're taught that we're horrible sinners, and we need to repent, you know, or that that kind of philosophy. And I wanted to ask you too, with the people that you work with, I mean, you work with a lot of people who have been through some really traumatic experiences you know, really, you know, unbelievable. And and you yourself have been through some really traumatic experiences. I mean, when you're working with them, how do you help them kind of embrace that idea and separate from what happened to them, you know, to not believe that they're victims or just identified with those events or that horrific event that happened?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, spent so much time in Oakland working with really, you know, communities of color, activist communities, LGBTQ, trans communities, communities often marginalized and on the the brink, you know, on the edge. Um, you know, a lot of times when I work with people, and I also do, you know, a lot of shamanic healing work, so I do hear stories that are gut-wrenching, that are... Um, it's hard to even be present for some of them but i am i open to it with compassion but one of the things that i so believe is that that we are not we are so much more than our trauma and so i try to get people to hold their experiences in a in a much bigger span of time like this is one chapter in the midst of a huge book <laughs> right? Like many lives, many experiences, and and how to see the trauma as a breakthrough. How do we use this suffering and the healing of it? So yes, we want to heal it. We want to grow from it. We want to use it as compost, right? So if I've been sexually abused or raped or, or in domestic violence situation or, uh, you know, hurt, how do I rise out of that? How do I learn from it? not let it make me bitter but make me open and that's the key shift right there with trauma
0: right and not letting it take over and become your identity
1: right like yes, that's
0: yes you're not what you're not what happened to you i guess
1: Yeah, and I think that's a stage. First, there's the identity and there's a heavy identification that often arises in the earlier stages of healing trauma, right? Where we do have to claim it for a while. We do have to relate to it on a certain, on a very um, relative level, like on the conventional level. This, this me and this happened and and we have to kind of mourn it. But I think as we begin to open and grow more, um, we let go of that sort of fixation with it it becomes another experience that we grew from and the healing of it becomes much more important than the, the, the suffering of it. Right. So then we begin to talk about it in a whole different way, but, but that process does have to be honored as we go through letting go of these big things. You know, a lot of people are contacting me and I'm sure others who are teachers and healers just with um, repressed memories you know, just as the Me Too movement or anytime these stories are coming out, they trigger a sort of collective um, experience of repressed trauma. So some of these things, we honor the cycle of it. So I help people to kind of go through those cycles, but then to see at the end, oh, wait, I'm I'm more than that. And you mentioned shamanic
0: experiences, and, and I know you've had a lot of training in the shamanic world and in the book you mentioned exploring the world of plant medicine and wisdom of the amazon uh, by taking people to peru and i was just curious does this include ayahuasca ceremonies have you ever done that and and what do you think about that cuz i'm i'm really interested in Um, some of the work that's being done in that world.
1: Yeah. So that is what my whole organization in Peru is about working with ayahuasca and bridging ayahuasca and Buddhism in the Amazon. So um, yes, I've been working with plants primarily to treat my own trauma for 12 years. And I've been leading groups um, for five years. This will be our fifth year and we uh, work with it. And again, I was working with it primarily to deal with unresolved trauma. Now it's evolved from there, but the plant medicines are so powerful and so profound on every level of the human system. They are an accelerator of consciousness right now. So if you're already on a spiritual path and you work with plant medicine, it's going to accelerate and that's what we need right now on our planet. We need help. We need, like, okay, everyone. We need to grow a little bit faster here, um, just because of the environmental factors and the global factors. So, um, so ayahuasca is just an incredible plant, and for people who are ready for it, it can be life changing, powerful. And our retreats are really designed for people already on a spiritual path. We're a, a niche market. And, um, and it's been controversial for my Buddhist community at first, me getting involved in having uh, Buddhist-based ayahuasca retreats, you know, so I've been on the hot seat. I want to say this has been a little bit controversial, and I've only recently really become more public about it in the last few years, giving talks about it. But I just have to, I've seen so many miracles, and my work with indigenous communities down there, and I lived in the jungle for a year, studying with... Um, Chapibo maestras. So, and I'm my second book with Hay House is about all about this topic.
0: Well, I think it's just fascinating. And I'm really glad that you could share a little bit of your experience with that and how you're working with it, because I agree with you, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, just in the research that I've done and seeing some of the change that can take place, you know, and the misunderstanding with, um, Entheogens, you know, they're called. And yes. I think it's great that you're working with people and you're talking about it because I think that we should lock the doors of Congress and make them all uh, take ayahuasca. You know
1: <laughs> until their sanity is restored. I agree with and, you. Yeah. I and agree see what happens, <laughs> you know.
0: But um I you know, would like to stress to people that, you know, if you're considering doing something like this, or you're maybe on that path to reach out to someone like you and really do your research um, before you embark on something like that, you know, make sure that you're with a reputable person and an organization to lead you in a ceremony, you know, don't just do it on your own.
1: Yeah, well, it's very hard to do it on your own. But the thing is, is that it is imperative that you really know who the community is, who the group is, And because, um, you know, we're opening up the deepest parts of our psyche and our heart and our soul and those, it is so powerful, the experience on every level of the human system. So you just want to be with somebody who has a very high integrity that knows the work really well. And yes, it's really key, but our organization, um, for people who are, are ready for something is a really beautiful step for people to explore. And um, could they could they find out more
0: on your website or maybe reach out to you for information?
1: Yeah, they can, they can see on my website. Uh, my website for that work is Lotus Vine Journeys. And if they look on my springwashem.com, my regular page, you'll see upcoming retreats. I have several coming up next year. We start again in um, May next year.
0: That sounds amazing. People should check that out.
1: Yeah, you should come <laughs> too. I would love
0: it. I'd like <laughs> to. I really would. I, I would love to do that. I think <laughs> I'm going to be checking out that on your site and uh, come to one of the okay. retreats. Because what's interesting about taking that approach, and you talk about this a, a little in the book, in how many painful experiences are really held in our bodies, like in our cells, in our DNA. Yes. And this can last for generations right? I mean,
1: Oh, yeah, the patterns, epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit and... about that.
0: Because I think that's, that's so interesting how, you know, that manifests itself physically, that kind of trauma, and doing this work that you're talking about here can really release that.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, you know, epigenetics is this new um, research that's happening around DNA and families and trauma and how, uh, our DNA is passed down. And we know, we know this energetic, energetically, we can see families that have, you know, five, um, generations of alcoholics or sexual abuse runs in families, domestic violence runs in families. Um, so epigenetics is really, really powerful because it also shows us the trends and how we can change that and how, um, it's all about like telomeres and it's, you know, I can get really sciency and geek out on that. But the main thing that we want to be working on is for a lot of people, our roots are what we want to get down to. And ayahuasca is a vine that is a root that grows in the heart of the Amazon forest. And it works on root issues. It works on the first three chakras, particularly if I was going to use that, which is our Family of origin, our family tree, and our DNA, which is our family tree. On some, on some, you know, we're we're here because our ancestors were here, and so it really works on those levels. So, um, a big piece of what I'm so fascinated with in my own experiences and others is how we are healing our family lineages and ultimately the DNA of our family, and then the human tree, the one family tree. It's so interesting. And it's isn't just it? so pr- yeah, it's very profound what people's journeys are. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, really yeah. And when you kind of scrape the past the layers a little bit and really look at
0: the the patterns that go on for generations, and you talk about some of your own patterns that you experience in, in your life, and, and share in the book, and the more people are aware of that, and how they can make those shifts, you know, you can end years of you know, patterns of abuse, or you know, being the victim, you know, not speaking up, being walked on, you know, all of those things. So mm-hmm. it, it's really powerful and so interesting what we're finding out, all of the new research and and looking back to um, this ancient practice, you know, this plant that's been around for thousands of years that shamans have used for those purposes, and bringing it into the modern day today to help people is is really exciting. So that's really cool stuff. I look I look for that in your new book.
1: <laughs> well well <laughs> Yeah, it'll be all about that. And all these stories of what I've witnessed and my own experiences and all my beautiful guests will be there. Yeah, I'll be sharing a lot. Well,
0: one thing I wanted to mention while we still had a, a few minutes left here, and um and it's been so great to talk with you. I, I love what you're working Yay. on. Um, but something I wanted to bring up that I think is really important for people is Uh, the topic of forgiveness and working with that. And in the book, you know, you share uh, the story of your relationship with your father. And, you know, he spent time in prison, and you have a a brother that followed that path. And, and he was given a, a prison sentence, too. And, you know, working on, on that forgiveness piece, you know, how you came to terms with your father's absence from your early life, and, and your ability to eventually cultivate, cultivate compassion, you know, and, really think about well what was what was his experience you know and I think making that that shift especially with our parents because I think growing up we don't think of them as people. they're just your, they're your parents you know they they weren't people that were flawed that had relationships and experiences that didn't work out for them. Um, so I think that's really
1: interesting and and how's your relationship
0: today? your father?
1: Well, you know, my father has always been a very profound teacher for me. And he's helped me cultivate a fierce heart. And he, you know, is difficult. I'll be honest, you know, he's not someone who um, his own unresolved trauma is his biggest obstacle. And it's really hard when you get to later years in life, if you haven't dealt with stuff. Wow. It, it's just the programs are really there. And so he he's doing well. Um, we're not as close as I would like to be, you know, because he just is hard, <clears throat> sort of hard to deal with in his own. He gets in his own way, you know. He has all this love around him, but he can't always receive it. And so he teaches me all the time about that. So I look at him as one of my best teachers and I forgive him for everything. I always have, actually. The moment I laid eyes on him, I, I remember being like, okay, yeah, this is definitely someone I, I you know, it's beyond. And, and I love him very much, you know, and maybe things will change more in the future Will he'll be able to receive love from his children in a different way. But at, on this particular chapter, it's no fairy tale. My life never is anyway, but um, it, he's not always in the best places right now. So, but we send him love all the time.
0: And is there anything you know? that you would consider unforgivable? Not not with him, but just in general.
1: I mean, you know, there's parts in my mind that, you know, where I immediately, when you say something like that, the abuse of children, you know, immediately comes in, you know, children, you know, but at the same time, it's what I'm forgiving is greed, hatred, and delusion, right? I'm not, it's not about the person it's, it's the programs. And, and my compassion goes to the really deep, profound understanding that I know with every fiber in my being that every seed you plant will grow. And so to plant those kind of seeds in the ground, harming others, abusing others, Is just it just breaks my heart for all parties involved. Um, so but you know that's that's how I feel right now. I I look at it as not the person but the energy, the expression of the greed, the expression of hatred, and just total delusion. Right, and and kind of
0: hand in hand with that would be uh, what you refer to in the book as the great chief, which is compassion. And I love that. And you know that's something in our society (laughs) that we seem to be really losing you know, along with the ability to forgive is compassion for others. And we're just taught to fear and suspect people who are different from us from different cultures or traditions. And it just, it, it scares me to see that direction that we're going in, but where, where will compassion fit in? You know, can we cultivate this and and learn more
1: compassion? Yeah. I think that's the one thing that we can get out of pain and suffering is that when you're really open when you go through something really difficult, I had a friend recently who was really in love with someone, and the relationship ended very abruptly, and not because they wanted it like that. And um, she was telling me, "Wow, it, this kind of grief opened me up so much." And I was like, "Exactly, you know." She allowed it to open her heart, and so we can respond to what's going on with more hatred. We can, that's one approach, but it's not the skillful one, you know, but I think this times that we're living in right now is perfect for spiritual practice, right? Things are moving fast. Things are accessible right now. All kinds of great teachers, teachings is all out there. Um, so I I encourage people to see this as a divine inspiring opportunity. Yeah. It comes with the shadow, but everything you know, out of the darkness comes the, you know, the dark night spawns the, the rebirth. So I feel like collectively it's the dark night of the soul. And out of that, there's only one place to go. And that's, you know, that's the story. And that's a a great (laughs) way to to wrap up.
0: And it's been so wonderful to talk with you. And I'd love for you to uh, give your websites uh, for people to reach you. And the book is out right now, but where can people uh, get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so they can get in touch with me through my main website, which is just springwashum.com. And I have a YouTube channel and lots of teachings and they can find me on social media, all those outlets And if they're interested in maybe thinking about Peru, Lotus Vine Journeys is that website. And you can kind of look on and Google me and you'll get a lot of interviews and all that kinds of stuff teaching about that. That's so
0: wonderful. I'm going to look that up (laughs) when we disconnect (laughs) today.
1: Yes, I would love it. Thank you so
0: much, Spring. And thanks for joining us on unityonlineradio.org. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: I'm Suzanne Giesemann, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to
0: connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope.